Good morning, Rediscover Church in Exeter. It is so good to be with you. I'd much rather be with you in person, but it's good to be with you in this format. I'm Gavin Calvert, the CEO of the Evangelical Alliance, and what a season we've been living in. And you know, as we begin to come out of this season of lockdown, I believe we need to approach that in a similar way to how we approached coming into it over a year ago. I think as the church, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for the least, the last and the lost. We need to be praying for those in authority and power over us. We need to be praying for the NHS, praying for those suffering, praying for those grieving. But secondly, we, we need to not panic. The church is called to be a non-anxious presence. We need to not panic in the midst of all that's been going on and continues to go on. And thirdly, we just need to show what's different when you have Jesus. What's different when you stand on the rock of ages, when you're facing sort of shifting sands of culture around you? How do we show what's different when you face the same stuff, but you face it with Jesus? I think going forward, those things remain important. But as we do move out of lockdown, as we, as we do move back to some sense of normality, you start to wonder, what does that look like? You see, you can't go back to Egypt. We're living in a new day. What do we need for this new journey? How do we move forward? And you at Rediscover Church, you were leading the church in digital engagement before coronavirus. Please continue to lead us going forward. The rest of the nation is looking to you and other churches to show what does a hybrid model of church look like going forwards. And today's Palm Sunday, the day we uh, celebrate Jesus um, going into Jerusalem on a donkey. And, and you know what I want to talk about is not the start of that story, the end of that story, because I think the end of that story tells us some of what we need to be like as we step into this new season from here. So in Luke 19, and I'll start at verse 41, though the story of the triumphal entry starts at verse 28. Verse 41, it says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. I think in this passage, we see three things that Jesus approaches the city of Jerusalem with that we need to approach our community with and our environment with as we step out of this season of lockdown and step into the spiritual and social rebuilding of the United Kingdom. And the first is this compassion. It's in verses 41 to 44. Jesus comes around the bend of the Mount of Olives and he stares down on Jerusalem we know from the Greek, he, he takes an intent look down on the city and he stares down on the city and he knows that in about 40 years time, the city will destroy itself because it goes its own way, not his way. If the city would just go the way of Jesus, it would be fine. But he knows they will go their own ways. They will go after their own dreams of political power and that will lead to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. 
And what does Jesus do? Does he begin to judge or what does he do? He falls to his knees and he weeps. He weeps the tears of God over those who've gone astray. He weeps with compassion for those who are going another way. He approaches everything in front of him in this moment with complete compassion. His tears are out of desperation for people to see things more clearly, to understand the Father's way and act differently. Jesus is full of compassion. We need to be full of compassion for people. People are grieving. People are hurting. This has been a difficult season. People are at different places on their journey. And we need to show compassion and treat each person individually. I love the way Jesus does that in scripture. Take Mary and Martha. When they've both lost their brother Lazarus, they both respond completely differently to their grief. Mary is overwhelmed in her heart and just weeps. Martha is confused in her mind and asks loads of questions. To Mary, Jesus weeps with Mary. To Martha, he answers her questions. Because you see, the Lord does not treat everyone the same. He treats us all with the compassion we need in our own situation. Friends, as we encounter people, as, as we hear people's stories of the last year or so, as we face up to a mental health pandemic to come, in these moments, we need to show compassion to each individual person, loving them, showing them that Jesus loves them too and reaching out to them. We need to ask God to see people as he sees them so we can show them compassion. Compassion is vital in this next season. But secondly, righteousness. This is verses 45 and 46. You know, Jesus seems to act with such violence. What's going on? And you look at it and, and many people think he's, he's cross because they're selling in the temple. That's not really the point. The point is before the perfect lamb who takes away the sin of the world dies on the cross, every year people would come to the temple offering a sacrifice to make good for the sin that they've done. They'd bring an animal, assuming they could possibly afford it. And this animal had to be perfect. And this animal would, would receive the punishment they deserved. Hence, that's why Jesus dies for all of us, that we could know life. And what would happen is the poor people would try and bring their own animals. But the sellers at the temple would always find a reason that the poor person's animal wasn't good enough. So the rich would bring their own animals, that'd be fine. But the poor would end up being told, no, that's not perfect. That's got a blemish. You can't use that. So the poor were forced to buy their animals at the temple. But then these temple sellers would charge the poor 10 to 15 times as much as they would charge the rich for the same thing. And so Jesus is furious because what's happening is the rich are taking advantage of the poor and exploiting them in the very act of worship they're seeking to bring. So Jesus gets cross and he turns the tables over and he says, this is wrong. Not on my watch are you doing this. This is not OK. And I just think for some of us, when we became Christians, we had the blood removed from our veins and had it replaced with antifreeze. So we never got cross about anything. So we never said, not on our watch, you're not doing this. This is not okay. You can't do this. This is wrong. And I think for some of us, we need to ask the Lord, help us see this as you see it. Help us see this in a way that you understand it. You see, so often our culture gives us eyes. So what we look at, we see through the eyes of our culture. When actually we need to say, Jesus, help me see with your eyes so I can see what is wrong. Stand up against what's wrong. Stand up for the least, the last and the lost. And be righteous in my heart for justice. Because only Jesus sees the problem at the temple. For others, they don't see it. They're just part of that culture. We need to say, Lord, help me see what's wrong and stand up for it. Sometimes God's righteous anger makes us act in a way that can shock people because we've got a sense of what's on his heart. Sometimes you have to stand up and say, this is wrong. I'm not having this. 
It's like my great friend John Kirkby, 25 years ago started CAP. He's just about to move on from CAP, but 25 years ago started CAP because he said, it's wrong that people are living in poverty. It's wrong that people are absolutely caught up in money issues, but it's also wrong they don't know Jesus. So he said, Christians Against Poverty are gonna carry the gospel in one hand, debt relief in the other, and we're gonna go out and we are gonna see if we can change this because it's wrong. What makes you angry? What's wrong? Maybe you need to ask the Lord this morning, show me what's wrong in Exeter that I can be part of changing it. When Mother Teresa worked in Calcutta, she'd get about 5,000 letters a week from people asking to come and serve in Calcutta with her. To as many as they possibly could manage, they would send back a printed reply. It said this, open your front door. There's your Calcutta, change it. Friends, the social and spiritual rebuilding of the United Kingdom is a massive task in front of us, but we do it with compassion but we also do it with righteousness, saying some things are wrong. And finally, we do it with courage. This is verses 47 to 48. At this point, the authorities could not arrest Jesus for the people hung on his every word. But every time he spoke, he took his life in his hands and he knew it was only a matter of time before he was killed. In verse 47, it makes it clear our courage should match the courage of our Lord. You know what, in this season, it would be so easy for, for the church just to do nice stuff for people. But we do good stuff for people. But we also share that we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world and that by surrendering your life to him, you can know life in all its fullness and you can know what it is to truly live and you can know what it is to be liberated from your brokenness and know hope because hope has a name and his name is Jesus. So we share that as well. You know, as well, I'm, I'm passionate about evangelism. I've had many debates over the years. What's more important, words or works? I've never really been asked, what's more important, words or wonders? You know what? We've got to start seeing God do great things on the streets through wonders and through words and through works that we might be an unleashed church impacting our community and seeing many come to know Jesus. When I took over leading the Evangelical Alliance, it was 18 months ago. So I've spent most of my time leading the Evangelical Alliance in a pandemic. But when I was taking over the leadership, I felt the Lord tell me that we needed to do two things differently in the next decade. That we needed to be braver than we've ever been. You know, it's hard to be like an alien in your culture and to stand up against the culture sometimes. But we need to be braver because the Bible is the inspired word of God. But secondly, I felt him say as well, we need to be kinder than we've ever been. Because you know what? Bravery and kindness are not mutually exclusive. They can go together. You can be really kind in how you treat people, but also brave in making a stand for Jesus. I believe that message was not just for the EA, it's for the church. We need to be brave and we need to be kind. So as we move forward into a new season, as we step out of this season into the next, let's be compassionate to the needs of those around us. Let's righteously stand up against what's wrong and let's courageously share our message of hope in Jesus. Let's step out as one, friends. Let's together make Jesus known. Let's be compassionate. Let's stand up for, against what's wrong by being righteous. And let's be courageous. Because for me, there's not been a greater evangelistic moment than the next little while in the UK. Why? So many people are asking the questions we've been answering for 20 years when they weren't asking them. The impact of hearing about excess deaths on the news every night for a year has had a huge impact on people asking the big questions of life. The ground has never been so fertile to the Christian message as it is right now. But that is a message that, as we've said, must be caught up in compassion. 
weeping over those who don't know Jesus. Caught up with a heart for social justice that says some of these things are wrong, not on our watch is this happening. And courageous enough to keep going even when it feels like the world's against us. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you for this wonderful church. I thank you for each person in it. And I just pray you would help them. Help them to be compassionate to those around them. Help them to stand up against that which is wrong. And help them to be courageous. As we step forward together, Lord, into new seasons ahead. As we step forward together into all you have. I thank you for your great promise that you're with us. I thank you that you are for us. And I just pray, Lord, that you would start something in this church that would have a huge impact on its surrounding area and beyond. Lord, in the years and months and weeks ahead, we want to be part of rebuilding this nation. But we want to see it rebuilt spiritually as well as socially. We want to see many come to know you. So, Lord, in your kindness and your goodness, would you use us? Would you be with us? And would you do far more than we could ask or imagine, we pray. Amen. Thanks, friends. Let's go for it. So it's my great joy to welcome Gavin Calver, the CEO, the leader of the Evangelical Alliance, a fantastic organization serving the church. And Gavin, we've just enjoyed being challenged and spoken to by that great word that you've just brought to us in the church. And there were three areas around that that you looked at. There was compassion, there was righteousness, and there was courage. Three incredible things that the church re needs right now. Um, maybe you could just help us look at how we can do that and how you see other people doing that. Let's maybe talk about compassion, first of all. How can the church show the compassion of Christ better in this season that we're in? Yeah, I think, I think the example I gave of Mary and Martha is quite important because when Jesus meets Mary and Martha and they're both mourning, treats them completely differently because they face the same thing, but their reactions are completely different. One overwhelmed in their heart, one confused in their mind. We need to accept we've, we've all been on the same journey, but we haven't had the same experience necessarily. So I think one of the things I'm going to continue to do is say, Lord, help me treat each person as the individual you uniquely created. Help me to not assume where they should be and help me to meet them where they are to lead them closer to you. And Heidi Baker talks about with people, go low and stay low with people. And I think in this season, part of the compassion is, is getting in the mess with people. People have said goodbye to people and people haven't been able to say goodbye to people they've lost. And so in this time, we need to show the compassion. Every person is someone Jesus died for, but all need treating differently. A concrete example of that in my life would be, um, obviously we're not back at, at EA fully, but EA's in King's Cross. And I went in this week for one day and one of the rules I have is, and I have to have it as a rule, otherwise I won't do it. There's a lot of homeless people in King's Cross. I, I, I speak to every single one on my journey from the station to the office. Sometimes it can take you a good hour. But you know, each of them, speaking to Jimmy this week, he's different to other people you speak to. And what you need to do with each of them is say, they, they, they've all faced homelessness and they faced COVID, but they've all faced, it's still different. So what does one person need? How does one person need to be reached out to? And, and you know, as a church, we need to not be too busy for people. In this season, people have had more time for one another. Compassion starts by having time for people, not being so busy with our own agenda that we haven't got the space for people that need a touch of God's love. Yeah. And so often, Gavin, I'm just mindful, there are lots of great projects that take place in society and through the church 
that sometimes, I remember meeting a leader of a charity a number of years ago, and he was making a comment of a place he lived. He said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of projects to provide care, but there's not a lot of compassion. And I think what he was reflecting was that the people who are involved had lost something of that connection of heart. And it would be awful for the church just to do stuff without feeling it. And we only feel it when we stop and talk to Jimmy, don't we? And we understand what's going on inside them. And gosh, the church, we need to just really hear the pain that people are going through right now. Completely. You've really hit on something. Sorry, Mark. You've hit on something I'm passionate about. We sold out to programs before all of this. And actually, this season's been more about people. So we've talked about people dying. We've talked about neighbours. We've talked about communities. Now, it's been different in the two or three different moments of lockdown, but there's been a greater sense of togetherness and collective at times. Coming out of this, the church mustn't just revert to programmes. An example of that in my own life, actually. Uh, my wife, Anne, and I have taken back the discipleship of our kids for Why? Because there's no church to do it, you know, in one sense. So what we expected the church to do an hour a week, we're now doing 24-7 in our home. And actually, that's a real strength. But it'd be very easy to say, well, we'll just put them back into this club and this club and this club. No, it's about us being in relationship with them. Now, that's very close to home. But but let's not, do you think about your neighbours? We've all connected our neighbours more than normal. Let's not give that all back because we're then busy with programmes. Programmes are important, but they serve the mission. And the mission is one person reaching one person, reaching one person. It's always been about people. Beautiful. And Gavin, you talked about righteousness. Now, righteousness, you know, I think sometimes we've excelled in self-righteousness. Um, and we always see that those are the people that Jesus went for tenaciously um, in the scriptures. Um, just unpack maybe how we can be more righteous in, in society. Yeah, um, we all know what we think of when we think of righteous people, don't we? We kind of admire their godliness, but you hope you're not next to them in heaven. But you know, when it comes to when it comes to the world now, actually, what what I wanted to speak about it, when I spoke earlier about righteousness is this: How does God view what's in front of you? Not how has culture told you how to view it. So if you go with your cultural argument, you'll accept all kinds of things because it's normal. I'll give you an example: um, American Christianity doesn't have a problem a lot of the time with guns. We clearly have a problem with that because we think that's completely wrong. But it's so caught up in the, in the Fifth Amendment and in culture and stuff that it's seen differently. Now, I can tell you the problems in America more easily than the problems in Britain because I live here. So I think we've had cultural anaesthetic that has made us just accept stuff for how they are, accept divides, accept all kinds of things. It's moved us away from the sort of holiness of following Jesus. What I'm meaning by righteousness is pray a dangerous prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, give me your eyes on what's in front of me, not mine. Because my eyes are tainted by the culture I've been part of. Help me see this so I can see what's wrong. So when Jesus turns the tables, he's the only one who sees what's wrong. How do we see with his eyes what is wrong? And also within it, how do we actually sometimes get a bit more angry in a righteous way? Because I feel like as, as Christians, we are all about love. But that doesn't mean that we don't say some things are wrong. A William Wilberforce that drove the abolition of the slave trade gave his everything for that because he knew it was wrong. What are your equivalents? What's wrong? What's wrong in Exeter? Where are women being exploited? Where is the gap between rich and poor too big? Where is moral bankruptcy taking place? Where are people, often in the church sometimes, where are people playing around with their taxes a little bit instead of actually thinking about the poor in that? What's wrong? 
because we've got to sometimes stand up, speak up and act up to say, no, no, this is wrong. Not on our watch is this okay? And I think compassion's great, but sometimes the righteousness leads to, to structural and institutional change. Because you actually say, yes, I'm feeling compassion for people. But one of the reasons, one of the problems is that this thing's taking place and not on our watch are we just going to sit back and accept it. Yeah. And, and often your first point about compassion, it opens the door of our hearts as well as hearing sort of God's voice on something, it opens us to something fresh. Like over the last 12 months, the area of righteousness around racial injustice in our community. I know at the EA, you have been producing fantastic resources that have come out of a journey that you've been working on in this regard to help empower the church. But it's been deeply moving to open our hearts with compassion, to listen, to experience the pain of many of our brothers and sisters from other backgrounds, other cultures, other skin colors, and then to allow the righteousness of what God says is right to shape us. But then that leads us on to the next part of the courage that we need to not just be indignant and be frustrated and feel like we're locked into something that's not right in society, but we need people to stand up and to be people of change. Maybe you could just articulate how that courage can work out. How do you see some ways that the church can engage courageously in the days ahead, Gavin? Yeah, and I, and I love the I love the way we're talking about like sort of the race issue. How compassion for what was going on then led to people saying we need to change stuff, but we need to keep saying this stuff too. And 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 courage for me is well, brave people aren't born. By the way. You know, you're not born. It's not like that person's brave, that person isn't. The most brave person I can think of in scripture is Esther. I'm not sure how brave she was before. When she goes to see the king, she's risking having her head chopped off just because he's in a bad mood. And she steps up and acts up. So we're given a chance to be brave, to be courageous. And I really believe that in front of us as a church at the moment is an, a, a once in a lifetime opportunity for sharing the gospel. I don't know if, if you found smart, but my friends who don't know Jesus are asking questions I was answering before this season when they weren't asking them. You know, I went to get my haircut. I've been going to the same barber. It's just before the latest lockdown. I went to get my haircut, going to the same barber for five years. He charges me loads of money because I'm on the edge of London. And each time I go, I think, if I've got to pay that, you can listen to me talk about Jesus. No interest at all. Absolutely no interest at all. Last time I went in, I go in, this is what he says. I am so pleased to see you. I've never wanted to talk about God so much. Wow. Spoke to him for a while about the Lord gave him the link and signed up and he's doing an online alpha. This is the thing, we have a moment. People are asking stuff. It's the moment to get courageous with that friend who once rejected your advance on faith, with that family member, with that prodigal. It's time to believe again, because we've all lived with mortality salience for a year, which is an awareness of our fragility, an awareness we might die, excess deaths recorded on the news. People are asking, what's the meaning of life? I had a debate with two atheist humanists and I didn't say much. The key in a debate is not say much because they always come to you at the end then. And they came to me towards the end and they were like, well, what do you think of all of this? I said, I just have found it really, really disappointing that in the time when the nation is most looking for something greater, my two dear friends here have offered no hope and they have no hope to offer to this conversation because the whole philosophy and ideology that they live by is hopeless. And I say, with the greatest respect, I just want to tell you one thing about my Jesus. He is full of hope. 
and he gives life in all its fullness. And here's the thing, the only answer, the, the, the answer to the mental health pandemic coming, the answer to the, to the sort of economic ice age coming, in the end, the answer is to meet Jesus and then you'll be able to cope in the storm. The answer is not necessarily always to, to get an umbrella that means you can walk through this. No, you can, you can thrive even in the storm when you know Jesus. You know, how do we face this and, and face it differently? So I think for the church, the moment is now to be courageous, to stand up, to speak up and act up and to be prepared in the post-pandemic UK to live primarily for the affirmation of Jesus. Beautiful. And Gavin, you, these three points, compassion, righteousness and courage, have been a great reminder for us in the church that as we are excited about returning and regathering and regrouping, that we're not doing so with the priority of becoming a club and becoming an association that enjoys singing together once again and enjoys our environments of great love and joy by our gatherings, but that we're regrouping for a mission and never before in our day has there been such an opportunity for that mission to spread out right now. And so surely we should be more excited about gathering as the people of God around compassion, gathering as the people of God around righteousness and gathering around that courageous mission to go into all the world and take the love of Christ and to lift him up. And if we never have the ability to sing together ever again, you know, I think that's less tragic than never being able to lead people to Jesus. And yeah. that's what we're here. Yeah, no, I think so. But, but do enjoy that first Sunday back in the building, singing, giving it some, have a great time. But let's not forget that the church is the only institution on earth designed entirely for the benefit of its non-members. You know, as William Temple, the former Archbishop of Canterbury said, maybe not entirely, maybe primarily for the benefit of the So let's enjoy being back together. But also, when you're back together, think about the welcome team. If you say to someone, is this your first time? And they've been coming for a year, they've just not been in the building. You could kill off so much of what God's been doing. My hope for, for Rediscover Church and for every church in this nation is that you won't know, as the leader, you won't know half the people because people have been engaging who then, who then come along. Let's also not forget as church, and, and you guys were on this before, but digitally we're in a different space now. Don't go, we can't go back. Hybrid is the future. You know, if, we, if anyone thinks that we'll just stop online church and we'll just all go back to being in buildings, we are then shutting off this evangelistic moment. This is an incredible opportunity. And you are at Rediscover Church, and I'm not just saying this because you're my friend. You led many churches before the pandemic in showing what might be possible digitally. Many thought you were balmy too, by the way. <laughs> now everyone's caught up, but you guys have been doing this longer. So lead us again, lead other churches again. Show us how to do hybrid well. Show us how to engage with people well. Show us how to care about your postcode, but also care about the nations and how to serve the church in that way. I am very excited to see how the Lord will use a prophetic team like yours to reimagine what's needed for now. And I just encourage you to do that, do that well. And when you do, forgive me, we at the EA will scream about it because we want other churches to see what's being done in one place that could benefit another because there is no competition in the kingdom, just collaboration. Brilliant. Well, Gavin, we are so grateful to God for you and for the EA. And uh, we're delighted to be part of this 
grouping of millions of believers across the country who place God's word right at the center. Thank you for your leadership. If people want to connect and support and find out more about EA resources, maybe just tell us the best way they can do that. Yeah, eauk.org. And if you want to join as an individual member, which is always a great shout, so we can take your voice into the corridors of power too, eauk.org forward slash join us. Thank you to those who are members. Thank you to the church for your membership. And you know what? It's just about Jesus and together making him known in our day. Come on, let's do that. Let's see the nation impacted by the gospel in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Gavin. The Lord bless you and your family. And it's great to see you again, my friend. Thank you. Thank you.